the women who attended that event felt like they were just kind of being served up on a silver platter to all the like male execs that came from Blizzard. All right. Hey, Gary. Hi, Mr. Blair. I'm so glad that you did not do our or your normal intro regal. Suck G. So, uh, okay, I, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to change. I'm trying to diversify uh, the way I the way we start the podcast. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it doesn't. Uh, we can probably land on something, just something better than so. G. I don't know. It sounds it sounds weird to me. So, yeah. well, next time, uh, uh, maybe maybe next time I'll have Chad GPT write our introduction. Okay. Yeah, and we just call it up. Okay, Chad GPT chooses us to do this type of intro. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have them pick something at random. All right, or cool. it. I guess we can't gender the gender the AI yet. All right. So what did we do this week? What did you do this week? Okay, so uh, you basically it was you interviewing uh, uh, your friend Yigi. We had some technical difficulties. Yeah. So, so for anyone listening to the podcast, you guys could probably hear Gary. Uh, Yigi and I could not. And uh, we had started, um, and, and Gary was a little bit late, so we didn't have any time to properly test the audio and get it sorted out beforehand. Uh, but Yi and I could not hear Gary because we were actually recording the podcast live at Gumbo, first time ever, which was kind of cool. And um, and we had uh, Gary joined again uh, remotely, but he joined late, so we couldn't do proper tests. So anyone listening could hear Gary, but Yi and I could not. But at the same time, like uh, when you're recording the podcast, I thought that the uh, the interview like flowed really well. Uh, so anything that I would have had to say would just kind of feel like I was interrupting that flow. So, yeah, we covered a lot. It was actually I was one of my favorite. It was kind of short. We only do about 30 minutes. But that's fine. Um, yeah, we, we talked about something non-game related, but certainly something that means a lot to me. And that's immigration, because I, I, I am an immigrant to the United States. Uh, and so is Yi, and she talks a little bit about that. She's a she's an immigration lawyer. She talks about her experience with that, and we get into a bunch of game stuff. She talks about some GDC stuff, some wonderful misogyny that's still going on in the industry. And I use I'm not being serious when I say wonderful for anyone who thinks that I would be. And um, we also talk about all the stuff that she's working on because she's heavily into into the game world as well. Okay, so for uh, someone that isn't necessarily uh, familiar with what GDC is, can you? Uh, yes, the Game Development Conference in San Francisco. Um, that's It's been going on, I can't remember when it first started, but it's been a long time now. Um, and it is still one of the few, I think, expos that still actually is held in San Francisco proper. Uh, I've walked by it a few times when I still live there. I've never gone to it. I think Gary and I were planning on to go in 2024. Uh, hopefully, uh, that'd be that'd be cool. I would uh, like to check it out. Yeah, I am um, um... so to try to, I guess, get a concept of like the size of this GDC conference. Like, how much bigger would you say it is compared to Megfest? Or well, it's not really um, an expo like Megfest or too many games or or even like Play NYC. It's more conferency focused specifically on developers. I actually don't know how big it is. It is big, um, but yeah, I don't know what numbers. I, I've never looked that information up. I'm sure we could. Okay. Well, maybe we'll just uh, get into the the podcast. 
All right. Enjoy meeting Yi, everyone, and uh, check out the Couch Zone at Gumbo. Yi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Uh, so you have been, well, I've known you for a few years now, yeah. uh, mostly through Gumbo and, and the video game scene, but I don't know you all that well, all things considered. So why don't you like tell us about yourself? Oh, well, that's, that's a big... <laughs> Very thing. open question. I know. <laughs> I am someone who likes to do a lot of different things. Uh, that's kind of how I met you is one of my interests is in the indie game dev scene in New York City. So we met through a lot of friends who are indie developers hanging around, doing playtesting, supporting each other, uh, doing a lot of community work. Other than that, I like to make art. I make art for video games. I also make games myself. Um, I am a lawyer and I am really, really interested in tabletop RPGs. So I'm in multiple RPG campaigns and that is that is probably my favorite extracurricular hobby activity do you play dungeons and dragons i do play dungeons and dragons that's that's one of my campaigns i'm trying to branch out more to play um less popular things um so my friends and i are playing hope cthulhu is one of our campaigns and also a dnd just like old version of dnd and you're in a pathfinder starfinder campaign sweet i used yeah. to play AD&D back in the day yeah yeah and i, I played fifth generator or fifth edition as well um more <laughs> recently all right uh so you said you're a lawyer i am yeah so you're an immigration attorney i am yeah do you want to talk a little bit about that uh, i want to there's a lot to talk about that um i guess i can go over why i got into it i I'm an immigrant myself. I came to the U.S. from China when I was five years old and sort of experienced firsthand how hard family separation was because my parents came to this country first when I was two and we had to be separated for three years while oh, they wow. set up a life here in the United States. Um, they came here with negative $7,000 and like just in heavy debt and like trying to build a life for us so that I could uh, join them when I turned five and came here. So since then, that's sort of been a motivation for me to help other people in the immigration space and people who are trying to seek better lives for themselves in this country. And that's why I decided to become an immigration lawyer. Yeah. So do you do that full-time though? Because I get the impression you've got a lot on your plate. So I do not do that full-time. I did that full-time for about a year out of law school. I, I did the traditional like first-year associate path. I also did a little bit of work in the nonprofit um, advocacy space, still in immigration. And I decided a year in that culturally it just wasn't for me. First-year associate work is very grueling and demanding. It's like you're expected to be in 7 a.m., you leave 7 p.m., and it's like unheard of for you to have work-life balance. Yeah, I mean, I, I could appreciate why that would be <laughs> yeah. a little much. So I decided that I still wanted to do immigration work. I still wanted to help people, but it was not going to be full-time work for me. So I currently do volunteer work. I mostly work with asylum seekers and refugees 
and occasionally work with like trafficking victims and wow. U-Visa people and, and such, yeah. So all the very politically charged stuff right now. It is pretty politically charged. It's It's been challenging for sure. Like the Trump administration was not great for immigration policy in this country and the Biden administration has continued a lot of the same policies. It, the, the, the country is just a little antagonistic to foreigners coming in right now. Oh, no shit. <laughs> Especially like post-COVID, there's just been a little bit more xenophobia and uh, I, fear. I, I can't say that. Um, so uh, I, I've talked many times on the podcast that while Gary's in Canada, I'm from Canada. Mm -hmm. I went through the immigration process as well. And uh, I, it, I certainly didn't come here alone separated from my parents like you mm -hmm. did um well I, I did come here alone but i wasn't uh not as a kid mm -hmm. i mean um but it is a very lonely process mm -hmm. uh americans don't really give a shit uh, if you're from somewhere else or or what you're going through when you talk to them about immigration because they just have no concept of, of what is going on or what it's even like yeah. to sort of have the feeling of like I could be sent home like our my like uh, with employment based immigration because I came on an H1 mm -hmm. or TN then an H1 and for those who don't know any of that stuff is uh, TN used to be the NAFTA free trade visa I think they probably renamed it ever since all that stuff was renegotiated the H1B is the professional visa for um uh, skilled workers um and then I eventually got a green card but um you need an employer to sponsor all that and my first employer here didn't want to sponsor my well, well didn't really want to sponsor my green card until it was the absolute last minute to do it. And I had a friend of mine who they missed the deadline. Oh, wow. And so she rage quit and then she ended up getting married. So she's still here. It was it was a legitimate marriage and everything. Um, yeah, I find that a lot of employers sort of use it as a leverage point to retain talent in sort of an unethical way because they know that you are tethered to them as long as they do not give you a path to permanent uh, status. I think the big <laughs> companies are really bad at for that. Yeah. Um, my experience, my current employer was phenomenal, uh, but I also negotiated up front. It's like, I want it in my contract that you'll do this. And they said, okay, we'll do it. We have to wait a year. It's like, that, that's fair. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And, and they did it's it. It's an expensive process yeah. for them also. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that was a lot better. I got it, my green card may of 2014 so it's almost another anniversary for me there and uh i think i mentioned to you what my citizenship process was like um so let this be some advice for anyone who's listening who happens to want to become a u.s citizen don't apply on the day that you are eligible wait like another week or two the um website i discovered they actually when you enter when you apply online there's a field where you enter the date your green card was issued which was exactly five years from the date said you're you're eligible so it's like okay I went through did all the application paid the like thousand dollar fee or whatever it was and then I go in for my interview like almost a year later and they're like you applied a day early I'm like what oh they, they tried to deny me right there I think the guy who was interviewing me is being a jerk I argued with him and then I passed the test and everything then they magically lost my file oh no uh so I waited two months there was no no uh swear cer ceremony date oath oath ceremony date letter ever sent I uh talked to a lawyer and then I ended up writing a letter saying uh look at my file basically yeah and uh it was like as soon as I sent that letter that's when things magically started moving forward okay. again that's good I'm glad you were able to find some recourse 
Yeah, that that's also one of the tough parts of immigration process in the U.S. is a lot of it is discretionary. So the person who was a jerk to you probably maybe just had a bad day and decided like, I'm going to give this person a hard time because I do not see them necessarily as a human who has struggled through this whole process already. I just, I'm in a bad mood and they missed it by a day. So technically I can get them on this. And that's, that's what happens. And sometimes you get like good judges and good officers. I've heard great stories from some of them. Very friendly. Like also I, when I went and do my fingerprints for it, um, I was going to be out of, I was going to be out of the country when my scheduled day was. Mm -hmm. So I tried to go in early and the woman said, uh, no, but it's like, I said, I'm not going to be in town. She's like, she said, come back in the afternoon. And I did, there was no line. She did it right away. That's great. Um, so yeah, it's been a, but the, the way it ended for me wasn't great, but overall I got through it. Um, but it was, a uh, it's not fun. I, I don't wish this upon anyone. It was absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, maybe we should get a little bit off immigration and talk more about games though. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk so, about games. So, uh, you were recently at GDC. I was. Yeah. And how was that? It was great. It was my first GDC. Um, GDC is something I've always wanted to go to, but it's prohibitively expensive. It's just, it's in San Francisco, which Which is a really, (laughs) really, really expensive place to stay. Um, The conference itself is expensive to to get passes to. Uh, Even the like lowest tier is about a hundred bucks or something. And that only gets you like two days of access. So if you're going to go all the way there, you kind of want more than that. So I was able to go to GDC this year as a speaker and also as part of the conference associate program, which is basically you work for GDC for up to 25 hours in exchange for a badge. Um, And it's a a helpful badge. It's the all access pass. So I could attend all the talks and Mm -hmm. sessions that I wanted. And so I, I think it's great that that program exists but i wish that overall it was more accessibly priced for everyone the hotels in san francisco aren't cheap either so did you stay with the other gumbos or i stayed with two other gumbo people yeah so you may if i may you 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 made a tiktok uh after you got back from the gdc about some of the negative experience. Oh, yeah. Sure, Sorry, yeah. if we can talk about that. There was, um, yeah. I, I, I decided to start a TikTok at GDC because I was frustrated with being in San Francisco and I just wanted to <laughs> quetch about being in San Francisco. But yes, um, after GDC, I personally had a pretty good experience with GDC, both working and speaking. But after GDC, it started coming out that there were problems with women being sexually harassed and assaulted and also people getting roofied at multiple industry events at GDC. And it was a disturbing dark side that I, at the time, had no exposure to or awareness. So I was just like going about like doing my networking and stuff. And only afterward did I hear about all these things that happened. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, like, there has been some of that toxic behavior in, in certainly the game industry forever. <laughs> um, I thought especially, like, because EA, I believe, had some issues come out in the media in the last few years. Um, I, I thought the industry was starting to clean itself up. 
Not really. No, like this is not the first time people have been roofied in exactly the same manner at GDC, I believe. And like a couple years ago, there was a Women in Games International event that was sponsored by Activision Blizzard, where the women who attended that event felt like they were just kind of being served up on a silver platter to all the like male execs that came from Blizzard. They, they, they described it as a hunting oh, ground. Oh my God. So that's horrible. That that was a big problem. And hearing about these things that happened this year at GDC, it it's pretty clear that there's still a long way to go for the industry to improve and a lot of cleanup that needs to happen. What do we need to do here? Like what, what more needs to change before some of this toxic behavior finally goes away? Because like the industry, like the tech industry has gotten a lot better in sure. this regard overall, but game seems to be the last holdout of some of this uh, misogyny. Yeah, I mean, it's a big problem because it's a passion industry. People will do what it takes to get into games more so than tech. Tech is just less sexy and glamorous and exciting. Um, that's why you hear about a lot of like interns being exploited and doing a lot of free labor for game companies. And you hear about uh, women or other marginalized groups putting up with bad behavior toward them because they this really is their shot. This is their foot in the door. And I think, I mean, it's a large like Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Harvey Weinstein. Um, but I think a large part of it is just accountability by the big companies and studios and publishers they need to hold the people who represent them at these bases accountable and name them and shame them and like actually do something about them to set an example there's a there's a large reluctance to drag people currently like we, we don't want to accidentally cancel someone who doesn't deserve it obviously and we want to make sure that we do our due diligence but at some point if everyone knows that this person is the perpetrator and you're still saying like oh we want to be sure we like they're really important to our company so we want to retain them like at, at what point is the due diligence done and and the punitive measures should begin <clears throat> right so I, I don't want to do this, but is there anyone you want to call out now? Or um, so there was someone that I did call out on TikTok, but I have since taken the video down okay. because um, this was a person who was a representative of a European Women's in Gaming Association who lured two women into his hotel room under the pretext of like allowing them to pitch something oh, to and and then sexually assaulted them so i'm in a like women in games leadership discord group and we were all talking about that person like oh, wow. they, we had his face we had his linkedin profile we had his full name but the two women decided that they didn't want to pursue this and they, they didn't want his name to be out there or them to be associated with him were so they, we took everything down were they worried that uh, it would impact their future in games maybe i don't know i i didn't speak directly to them it was um i just heard from one of the other organizers of that discord that we should 
respect the victim's wishes and for now not say anything. Right. Yeah. So this isn't in tech. Well, this isn't in games, but it's in tech. I've I've seen some some misogynistic behavior at my own workplace, mm-hmm. um, and the the there the, it wasn't directed at a at a specific person, mm-hmm. um, but there was there were women on the team, and I, I basically said, "Are you going to go to HR about this?" And yeah. she said, "No, I'm just going to ignore it." I'm like, "Okay," because yeah. it was it wasn't great. It was uh, it was kind of. It's kind of what uh, Trump would say about uh, about it being locker room talk or or yeah. whatever, which certainly doesn't make it make it great when it's in public. Yeah, I mean, we do as women. Now I'm speaking for all women. <laughs> um, have experienced a certain amount of social conditioning to things like this, like these uncomfortable topics, where it's like, oh, if you are a woman in a workplace, sometimes you will just get harassed and your role is to not make trouble and not make a stink because that's unprofessional or that's like not being a team player. And I think it's time for women and other marginalized people to start being more noisy about these things and and call out the bad behavior, even if it potentially uh creates a slightly more uncomfortable workspace for someone else like you're already uncomfortable so right we had valentina actually do the podcast last year yeah and we were talking about some of these issues Mm -hmm. and she uh, she didn't experience too much of this uh she said her boss was an ally um but at times he would do things like oh you should smile more or something like that but also advocated for her and got her good raises and and good projects and stuff Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a catch-22 he he probably didn't do it intentionally it was probably um more of a just leftover from whatever conditioning he had when he was younger yeah very uh interesting i looks like we've got a long way to go though it's uh especially in games yeah. I mean, I do think it's important for people who are allies to be praised for their allyship and the work that they are intentionally doing, but also because they do have these good intentions to make them aware of the things that they might not uh, know that they are doing to make you uncomfortable, like the, the subconscious biases that they might have. I guess I sometimes take this for granted that it's like, I, I sort of think that in this day and age, everyone should be aware as much as they can of their own behavior and how it can impact others. I mean, everyone has bad days too, but um, it's there's a certain behaviors that just aren't okay. Yeah, and just be humble and be willing to hear it. Yeah, you're not going to be perfect because you grew up in your own structures that might have trained you or ingrained certain ideas in you. But as long as you're flexible and willing to change them or adjust, I think I think that's a path toward improvement. Okay. Uh, I think we should pivot to something happier. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so all your all the stuff you're working on, mm-hmm. uh, all your game stuff. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah. All the stuff. Well, I full time I work at Heart Machine, which is a studio based out in los angeles best known for hyperlight drifter that's released, a good jam. released solar ash uh oh my gosh was it yeah over a year ago now 
and we are working now on Hyperlight Breaker. So what do you do for uh, them? Uh, so it is still a small studio, even though we are about 50 people now. It wow. operates like a small studio. So I wear a lot of hats. I handle all of our PR, community, marketing, and social. And when there is a release, like like post-release of Solar Ash, for instance, I also do some stuff on the QA side. Okay. So it's just a, a lot of different things. Yeah. How much can you talk about the game? Because it's obviously not necessarily, you, you don't have permission to do that necessarily, or do you? Uh, I'm, I'm able to talk about Breaker for the most part. Like we, we've we been doing the press circuits okay. now. So I'm actually not like a, gameplay I'm, is out and uh, yeah. So what kind of game is it? Because I'm actually not familiar. Oh yeah, part. it's an online co-op multiplayer uh, rogue light <laughs> open world game. So all oh, of the geez. buzzwords okay. in one game. Yeah. Is everything uh, uh, procedurally generated? And yeah, all that? everything okay. is procedurally generated in a very intentional way. We want we want it to feel like the world makes sense, and it's not just like random things thrown in. Right. Yeah. Okay. So online, open world, rogue light. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I'll give it. I'll definitely check it out. Uh, specifically, that genre doesn't usually. Uh, 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 catch my interests, so mm -hmm. to speak. But um, we'll definitely make sure that uh, we post all the info in the description of the podcast here, and that people check it out. But Hyperlight Hyperlight Drifter was was a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that one. We a lot. get a lot of feedback from people that why didn't you just make it just like Hyperlight Drifter? <laughs> why don't you make the same game over again? Yeah. <clears throat> but honestly, Hyperlight Drifter came at a time at a good time in the history of Kickstarter and indie games. Like yeah. I do not think Drifter would be nearly as successful if it came out today as it did in what right. well Kickstarter 2013 and that was a long time ago now. 2016 is when it like actually came out. So oh there goes Gary. I'm sure he'll be back. Okay. He's trying to fix his audio finally. Yeah. Um so actually I wanna now that you mentioned that yeah. What do you think of Kickstarter now? Is it still a valid option for indies? Because I, my thoughts are not really, but I know there's still some going on. I, I think it's just another marketing platform at this point. It's not a valid way to actually get your game funded. Like right. hundreds of thousands of dollars for a game project just isn't really feasible or realistic to right. raise on Kickstarter. So would you say that Heart Machine is more of a I kind of? Indie. We always, we're always talking about what we are, and I think that's what it is—like triple I, double A category. Right. Yeah. Do you think it's getting harder for indies to actually um, compete? Because sometimes I think the the bar is now set too high for indies. Compete with what? Just other like I and triple I. I don't think the market necessarily differentiates that. Usually, a studio of fifty people has more resources and more money to do more than than the studio like with Gary and I, who just the two of us. Are actually, we got Sandalo as well in Spain, but they're very small, uh, limited resources, um, not yeah. doing it full time. So you, yeah, you mean just the commercial space in general, right? Any titles to break out, and the fewer resources you have, especially if you're not focused on grabbing market share the harder it is to like be very successful 
I'm hoping that because we're doing a JRPG, which isn't an oversaturated area of the indie space yet, mm -hmm. although there are a lot more coming down the pipe, but fortunately, every indie RPG that I know is at least a decade-long development, so mm -hmm. it's uh, still a very hard space to get oversaturated, um, yeah. but it, there are more of them still, so I'm hoping that gives us a, a bit of an edge. Yeah, and like games are getting easier to make. There are more and yeah. more tools out there. I'm worried about AI. Coding, is... AI is a thing. Like ChatGPT has allowed people to create more things much more easily and quickly. AI art is also like a hot topic and interesting. It seems to be controversial in some, yeah. some respects. Actually, um, Gary and I are going to do a podcast about AI and the impact on video games. Yeah. But our, 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 our artist right now uh, does use some AI-generated art, but just for concept and yeah. then he actually goes over and creates the actual makes a lot of art sense right to, either to like yeah. iterate or test things out but yeah i mean overall i really appreciate how much more accessible it is to make games just for everyone but it does it does create a lot more competition yeah nice so what else are you doing aside from art machine do you have any other side projects that you're doing because you said you're an avid tabletop gamer or do you make them too or uh, I am working on a currently untitled game that is an alt control cabinet game uh, what does that mean so so it's going to be a four-player beat-em-up oh sweet <laughs> uh, yeah four-player beat-em-up cabinet game but the alt control part is so have you played don't starve together no I haven't played okay that one. so it's it's a it's a game where there's like hordes and waves of enemies that come on a day night cycle okay. and at night the enemies are stronger and start attacking your camp your camping and the way to fend off the enemies and boost your own stats is you have to keep your fire going because that keeps the, the enemies away keeps the enemies away and the cabinet is going to be built around having a like a very heavy wooden stick in the center console that you have to physically rotate really fast to keep the fire going and make it and like oh, hot and and big and so there's like a physical exhaustion mechanic to it where like the person who's spinning the spinner and it's going to be heavy has to take their hands off the controller like from fighting monsters and like physically spin this so this is why it needs to be multiplayer stick. because yeah uh, and so the the other players have to like jump in and, and help and then you like take turns with the stick and yeah it's uh, pretty that's a neat idea yeah um so for those uh those arcade cabinet games mm -hmm. um one thing i've always wanted to know is how does um <laughs> this is gonna without sounding rude how does how do the how does that market actually work what are the economics of this or is it just for fun is it just a, a piece of art uh yeah so i am also aside from being involved with gumbo i'm on the board of directors and the current vice president of a organization called death by audio arcade which creates indie arcade cabinets and i can say that we make no money <laughs> on the cabinets <laughs> like absolutely not we we apply for grant funding in order to build some of the cabinets we also have generous donors that give us uh some amount of money to fund like basic materials but otherwise they really are passion projects that we do 
in partnership with the game developers who make the software that go in the cabinets. But the games that go in the cabinets, do they actually, do they get a return? I mean, I know they, like, I know Joan is working on uh, yeah. something for Kung Fu Kickball. Mm -hmm. um, I know he sold a few, mm -hmm. but I just wonder how, how do those, I wonder if they're at, if there's any of them that are truly like a runaway success, especially the arcades really kind of not really being a, much of a thing anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like Bumble Bear Games, which is also New York based, they made Killer Queen. Yeah. That is wildly that's... successful. Okay, right? yeah, that's a good game. They are able to sell their cabinets to all the big tech companies because it's a very interesting concept. It's like, oh, okay, so they'll, they'll, buy the, uh, yeah, they'll buy the, yeah, they'll buy the cabinet. To, they buy the cabinet the and then the developers get a cut of okay. um, whatever profit is made. Interesting. Yeah. So... It, 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 okay, so is Jonah working with you on, on his cabinet? or Jonah it... worked with DBAA on the original Kung Fu Kickball. Okay. Uh, I think he is now working with Mark, who um, is the founder of DBAA, but also runs his own fabrication side hustle called Klebtronics. And I think he and Jonah are working on like creating more cabinets. Do you have anything else you want to chat about or cover or? No, I think I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, we did this for 30 minutes. So, all right. Um, Yi, thank you very much for joining yeah, us. And so uh, we'll thank you, Yi. Again. Cool. Yeah. Good to and see Gary's you. And Gary's waving. Mm -hmm.